Uh, it's very possible that there will be a lot of stomping above me soon because mm. we have guests in our house mm. and those guests have young children who are very stompy. The cast of Stomp. <laughs> <laughs> they might be here too. It wouldn't surprise me. We've had a lot of people. Um, but yeah, we're back after a couple is weeks. This, is this all for your birthday? Uh, not really. Um, not really. Not really. We just have some friends from Savannah that have come up the last couple of years, this time of year. And uh, we just got back from Florida. We were in Florida last week and did a little visiting family thing. And we, on the way back, picked up a friend of ours, a kid, that's a friend of ours, from Savannah. We didn't stop in Savannah. We just, like, drove by and picked up this kid and came home. And then the next day, other friends from Savannah came here. And so we've got a lot of people in our house, but it's good. Anyway, so if it's loud, you know, if they're stomping and stuff above me, that's what it is. Just, I've justified mm. it. How are you mm. guys? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad my racetrack event is behind me and nobody's hurt. That's what I keep yeah. saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of people there. There's a lot, a lot more people than the previous three years. This was the fourth annual and I'm definitely going to do it again next year. It was a lot of, a lot of smiles. A lot of people had fun. How many people one, do you think there were? I, I was asking somebody last night. Someone said at least 100. Whoa. Probably like 75. 75 to 100. At, one, wow. at, the, at, the, at the peak, which would have been at about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. The event is 12 to 6. And by 6 o'clock, there's just like the, the close friends hanging around and the stragglers. That, and it was fun. I finally wrapped it up. I had to post my video. So I was like, everyone's got to leave. I got to go home and finish my video. And <laughs> Uh, I was able to post by about eight o'clock. It was it was a great day though, and we had one bad accident, but they had helmets on, thankfully, and nobody got injured. Just a couple of scrapes. Other than that, it was a great day. Lots of uh, lots of handmade. I say about ten handmade go karts, and then a lot of even more than maybe like fifteen, ten or fifteen ones that were Facebook market buys, like within the previous mm. couple days. Just little mm. fix them uppers and. Fun. A couple of real mods, like that's probably what I'm going to do next year. I'm probably going to buy one and mod it and build from scratch. It was a great day, though. It was great. A lot of a lot of people trading stuff. I always encourage people to bring stuff to give away. And I ended up. I bought a go kart a couple of days before. I said to Rob, I go, let's spend thousand bucks and buy two two go karts. See what we could find. And we only ended up finding one just because of our time. We were both limited with our time. We found one go-kart, and the guy said, all it needs is a clutch. So we kind of bought it sight unseen. It needed a clutch, brake. It needed everything. And so it was like, whatever. We took it, and I figured we could all wrench on it at the track. Because that does take place. A lot of people fixing up go-karts straight there on the track at the back shop. Turns out nobody touched it. And at the end of the day, this kid, Mason, who's come up here a couple times, we were all hanging out and talking at the end of the day, and we turn and look, and Mason's sitting in the car dreaming. And we all look. We go, look at him. He's like sitting. It was like a, it was like a little enclosed like hmm. NASCAR. It was all enclosed, so it had like a like a roof and everything, and you got to climb in it sideways. And he's sitting, and we were all laughing. I was like, Mason, you like that? He's like, Yeah. I go, you could have that. It's yours. So he's got to bring it. He's got to bring it back <laughs> next year, repaired and put together. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a good day. It was a really good day. And that's uh, like next year. We got to put up some a little bit more rules, guard rules, and I might actually try and get event insurance for the day, just in case. Mm. And maybe I'll get an ambulance and wait. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Wow. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. Those things are dangerous. Yeah, uh, ambulances are too dangerous. I know I might not have it then. <laughs> <laughs> you should just get the ambulance drivers to race on the track with you, so they have a reason to be there. You know, That's and a good you don't idea. have to pay them and. It's weird when an event like that goes from, you know, like, let's just get together and hang out to now it's big enough that you have to think about this other stuff, the safety mm -hmm. and just management and, mm -hmm. you know, different types of people and different opinions and different. The funny thing is every time I bring this up to anybody, the first thing they say is, do you have insurance? I said, no. They're like, you're crazy. I'm like, whatever. I'm just having fun. And I did put up a sign. I know it doesn't mean anything. It says that a sign says you enter this area at your own risk. You understand the risks involved, racing on the track. And it's a sign you got to walk by to get through the fence. Well, and what we do at the races is we sign a – everybody has to sign a waiver 
at at every race right. and saying you are liable for this is a dangerous sport you are liable for your own safety and and mm -hmm. medical whatever so yeah that might yeah. be a way around it i did that year one but then all of a sudden it was just like a wave of people and i had like three people sign it and it was just like forget it Mm. I know, it's, and that's why I figured I put up like a general area because we do that. It's like a general release form when you're filming in a crowd. It's like if you're going to stand in this area, you might be on film. So if you're going to stand on the side of the fence, you're taking your own risk, your own liability. But I know that doesn't really mean anything, and lawyers listening right now are yelling at the computers. <laughs> but, but next year, I'll try and be figure out something more formal. Yeah, I have to. It's it's important if it's going to keep growing, and and it is a great event because. Some people show up with things that they made that they, they're in the process of making that don't even go on the track. And you know, that's totally encouraged, too. They don't necessarily have to drive it. It's all about creativity and just getting outside your comfort zone. And a lot of guys who never made a go-kart or played with one are like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get an engine. I'm going to figure out how to connect it to, a, to an axle. I'm going to figure this out. And that's really what it's all about, more than going 80 miles an hour on a tiny little track, <laughs> which some people, that's all it's about. But that's cool, too. Yeah, as long as they race alone and nobody else is on the track with them. <laughs> if you race alone, you always win. There's a T-shirt for you. <laughs> Donut Media put out a like a three video series a couple weeks ago on taking a little engine and seeing if they can get their little mini bike up to 100 miles an hour. And this engine is like, it's almost the exact engine that I use in my racing go kart. And so each each episode they're they're uh, adding some things and I keep and I have a whole video on building an engine so I was wondering if I was going to get any traffic from that on the mine but each time they did something I'm like no you got to do this and I'm like yelling at my computer <laughs> and then they do it in the next episode or they do it later on in the episode and I think they purposely slowly built up or did things wrong to create a little bit of suspense and but it was it was a fun series hmm interesting and they did not get the motor, the uh, not a motorbike. What is it? A little um, like a mini bike. Mini bike. Yeah, they did not get it up to a hundred, but they got it pretty darn close, and it was super scary. Mm. That bike that they have, um, it was in the garage when I was out there. They had just gotten it, and they hadn't done mm. anything to it yet. And it's the same one that I got my wife for her birthday last year. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like a coleman brand you know like a walmart motorcycle it's it's very inexpensive but they're a lot of fun a lot of fun well we've been gone for a couple of weeks other than uh than the racing event what have you guys been up to what you've been doing i've been working on my pool table i'm getting the pool table oh, sorted yeah. out i'm going to try and have that done by the end of the month and i published a video uh, utilizing my new thunder laser where i i Acid, not acid etched, I electro etched a fake accent. So the Black Raven is this very rare accent that a lot of people like to try and find and buy. They're impossible. And if you get lucky and buy one for two or three bucks from someone that doesn't know any better, you're very lucky. But a lot of times you got to buy them for seven, eight hundred dollars. So I, I counterfeited one in a video. And I, I got more pushback on my Instagram post. Some guy wrote me privately and said, like, I'm. I'm really playing with fire, showing how to make a counterfeit. I'm like, my name is in it. It's a joke. And he, we kind of argued back and forth. I said, so what you're you're really upset about is that in 50 years from now, someone isn't going to remember who I am. And it's they're going to end up buying this accent at a garage sale for 50 bucks. So you're mad that that guy's going to lose 50 bucks. Because he said, in 50 years from now, no one's going to know who you are, and this is going to trade hands. Okay, so you're upset about somebody buying this at a garage sale in 50 years from now and like losing a hundred dollars on a phony accent. Yeah, that's what this conversation is about. I was like, stop worrying about nonsense. So, I'm that hmm. what I've done, and then, then somebody else said it might have been the same guy. He's like, well, this guy does it all the time. I'm like, all right, so then fight with him. I did it once in my life. But he's like, show me some guy who has a whole Instagram page dedicated to making counterfeits, and he, the whole thing is like, I'm making a counterfeit. Would you like to buy this counterfeit from me? Yeah, so they're in the, all like the, abandoned brands. That's that's the thing. In the toy collecting world, this happens a lot, where there's you know people at home who sculpt or kit bash together different characters, and they'll make their own kind of counterfeit version of a toy that was out, an action figure or something, and then they mold and they cast them and they sell them. 
But it, for somebody that doesn't know that it's a fake intentionally, I mean, you know, they're intentionally a fake. But for somebody that doesn't know that, they may think it's a classic toy that's still in the box and just happens to be brand new or whatever, and they might buy it. But it's a very known quantity in that world that you remake old figures, you recard old figures, you do all this stuff as like a homage or whatever to the original, you know? So maybe that's just not common enough in that guy's world to for him to understand that it's a really, really common thing. And it's most people who actually care about something being valuable know whether it's a true thing or not. That's what I said. I go, people in the know know. He goes, yeah, but people in the know don't know. Some people don't know. I'm like, all right, so. Those people are not going to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for an axe head that has a name on it either. Yeah, that's what I said. Hmm. But whatever, it was fun. I mean, I did it specifically to get the go to people like that. (laughs) Can you explain the process? Because I saw that you did that on the laser, Mm -hmm. and I was really curious what the what you, you do you put a resist something that will resist the electro etching on the metal if the metal is exposed it will be eaten away by the electro etching i don't understand what happens there but it works and a lot of people told me by putting salt water and creating that electrical process inside of the bucket i'm creating chlorine gas which i didn't know that but i, I lived to tell the story it's a very open space i wouldn't do it in a confined space you take the metal object, spray paint it, and then I laser etched away what's going to be exposed to the water. Then you put the positive lead on that. In my case, I hung it off of a piece of steel. So the steel transferred from the positive lead to the axe head. And the negative lead goes on it, just a piece of metal that's stuck in the water. And you put it in salt water. And the electrons go from one to the other. And all the while, eating away any metal that's exposed. And to get the fine detail, the only way I could do that is if I laser etched it away. The way It's the process that was used to do this exact same thing to the original axe heads. That's why it looks so on point. But the difference is back in the day, they would have done a photographic mask. They would have done it photographically. They would have exposed a piece of film and then transferred whatever that emulsion is onto the axe head, which could probably still be done in a certain way. Like, for instance, if the axe head was perfectly smooth, you could probably silk screen on the all the bits of the graphic and get a nice perfect resist like that on the, on the curved surface. It's a slightly curved surface. And then just wrap up the rest of the axe with tape or something to keep it protected and then do it that way. So that might have been the way they might have done it in production. And if you see an original rave black raven axe which is the one i copied you'll notice that the the etching is never perfect i did a second one which i didn't show i only showed on instagram and the second one came out really bad but a lot of people who know this axe it's as good as any of the ones that have been out there from 100 years ago even though it came out really bad compared to the first one the first one came out almost perfect interesting but it's it's an interesting process, and there are some people that discover this process and go crazy. There is one guy on Instagram whose name I, I won't be able to remember before we finish, but I'll try and look it up. And he does it all the time to hammers and axes, and he puts all his own branding on it, and it looks amazing. His logo is like a big hand, and I think he's in Europe. So he sells axe heads and hammers all deeply etched. The longer you leave it in, the deeper the etching goes. And it really is impressive. You look at it and you go, Wow. This is amazing that you could... Did you carve this? You know, that's what most people think. And a lot of people don't really pay close attention to the video. And they're like, I don't understand why you took a perfectly good axe and spray painted it red. What is <laughs> what does what spraying it red have to... I painted it red just because it looked good on camera. But a lot of people are like, I don't understand why, why, why you painted it red in the restoration process. They don't even understand that. I need to do a video where I explain it. But they don't understand that I sprayed it red to create a resist to then expose with the laser and then the etch. They, they thought like it was the original act. They thought like by the time it was done, that's what it looked like to begin with. I just showed it off because it was buried under rust. Yeah. A couple of people misunderstood I don't hear that. any stomping. I just hear roosters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, should I let the roosters out? They didn't have water, so I didn't want to make them wait another two hours. So I was like, you know, let me let the birds out. They'll stay on the other side of the yard. I'm on the... I'm on the extreme east side of the house, and they're all on the west side of the house. But wow, they 
they all walked over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, have a, I have two wraparound porches, one on the front, one on the back, and they always just hang out under the porch. I have 40 acres. They can go anywhere in 40 acres. I have two barns. They can go stand in both of those barns. They come right to the kitchen window every time. And I don't feed them from here, so I don't know what brings them here. Huh. That's funny. Sorry. It's crazy. But that's it. Well, that's cool. I, I, I enjoy the atmosphere that they create. I it it's It just feels... It feels good to hear a rooster. I, I just did. I just did uh, twelve voiceovers for this old house maker channel, and in every single one of them, the rooster's crowing in the background. <laughs> I can't stop. I gotta go. We went it. to while we were in Florida. We went to some friends. Uh, they have a little farm down there, and so we went to visit them. And they were showing us all the different animals that they have and stuff. And they have goats and I guess goats and chickens are probably all they have animal-wise. But they have a big garden and bees and all this stuff. But uh, this rooster, they, like I don't, I don't spend a lot of time around chickens. So I don't have a big concept of how big chickens are or how big they can get or wherever. They had this rooster that was massive. It was scary like i wouldn't have want to go in the pen and it got me thinking about you and i'm like does jimmy actually have to fight these giant like <laughs> feathery monsters all the time i don't know if yours are as big as this no one well was, we have oh, the only uh, roosters can obviously be aggressive and i have two i have one full large rooster he's a he's a big one and two minis there's species that are I don't know what the species is, but they're smaller, much smaller. Hmm, and the one that constantly makes so much noise is the smallest one. And he's the one who's the most aggressive. So it's funny. It's almost cartoonish where he like beats up on you. And I think I told this in the podcast about three months ago. I was showing my friend the rooster. I'm like, he's the aggressive one. And I kind of kicked him a little bit. Not hard. Like I just kind of stuck my foot out for him. And he came at me and attacked me. And his spike that's on his ankle got stuck right in my shin bone. And then he fell. He got hooked on my shin bone and fell. I think I told the story. And then... Immediately, I had severe pain right down the front from my knee down to the top of my foot. And I was like, oh, no, that's it. I'm going to lose my foot to a chicken kick. I thought I I I was going to get a bone infection. And it took about seven days for that severe pain to go away. I thought I had infected my bone with a chicken spike. Just being like, oh, look at how aggressive he is. He's fun to to annoy. And then here he is. He removes my foot in one swift kick. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So they do got to be careful. Those spikes can hurt. I'm going to go on mute for a second because he's right outside the window. I might go outside to pick him. <laughs> well, David, what have you been up to? Uh, I don't have a video coming out this week because we're kind of prepping the shop for the next project. But a couple of days ago, we put out the IKEA metal cabinet transformation. We, I think it came out really good. As like, it's my favorite project as far as like project and video combination. Hmm. And we just we took a, just a metal IKEA cabinet and we added a whole bunch of wood to it and turned it into a drink cart and it was it was super fun. So that is out on my channel now. Not this week, but the next week. I think we have our television where we're combining three TVs into one big window. And so this week. I'm kind of prepping the one of the shop walls. We've got a bunch of cherry paneling that's going to go up on the one wall. And so it looks like super 70s on one wall. And then I'm kind of redoing a bench just just for the video. So it, it kind of looks like it's somebody's den where we're adding this, this window oh, where cool. there wouldn't typically be a window. So a lot of effort going into what's going to be the background for this for this thing but it's going to make the shop hmm. look cool it's going to lighten it up a little bit because that wall was really dark so that is that's that is what's happening just prepping for the next vid cool yeah i don't think we're gonna have a video this weekend either uh being gone all last week and then many you know, holiday that's during this work. week yeah it just uh it's kind of hard to get it all done i'm working on a project that we'll have in a week or so but it's not there yet, but the fun thing was, and I can't wait to show this to everybody, but we shot, before I left, we shot a really fun intro for this upcoming video, um, and it was like, we've done a couple of times where we, instead of doing a more straightforward, hey, this is what the project's going to be today, it's like a, a kind of a mini movie thing at the beginning, and so we, we spent the whole day 
with the smoke machine and a bunch of lights and made like a really fun little setup intro thing for this video and it, it turned out great so i'm really excited to show that off but it'll be a couple weeks but yeah i've been traveling a whole lot and so i haven't really done much um but on monday so we got back late sunday night and on monday i had two 3d printers show up on the same day and so part of my monday was assembling printers and one of them was one that I ordered a long time ago. It was the Prusa XL, and they just started shipping recently. And it's this thing is so big. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because these are both kind of unique printers to printers that I've ever used before. But I wanted this one because it is so big, and it's way bigger than I was expecting it to be. But I have to <laughs> assemble it, so I'm, I'm not done. Yeah, I can't. I haven't used it yet. But it's big enough that you could print. Golly, I don't even know how how to even tell you what the measurements are. But it's big enough that you could print like a full-size helmet inside of it in a single piece. And oh, yeah. It, like in every dimension. It's probably 14 inches cubed, maybe bigger than that. I don't really know. I didn't measure the thing. But it is very stout, very heavy. Um, so I'm in the middle of putting that one together. And then the other one I got was uh, this company called Bamboo Labs reached out. And they've got... A printer that they um that's gotten pretty popular and they wanted to send me one and i get a lot of emails from 3d printing companies like hey you know can can we send you their printer and all you have to do is a 15 minute review video or something <laughs> no i'm not gonna do that but this company reached out and i'd heard about these printers and so my initial response was i you probably want to review we don't really do that sorry and it was interesting because the guy responded with I don't want anything from you. I want to send you a printer. And if you like it, then send me an email back and we'll talk about maybe sponsoring a video or something in the future. Hmm. And I said, well, just to be clear, you're going to send me a printer that I get to keep. <laughs> and there's no expectation because a lot of times people will be like, you know, they'll say that. But then if you don't like it, you have to send it back to them or some. It, or they get a follow like a up. Hassle. Hey, did you get the uh, chance to use that thing? Yeah. In yeah. a video? <laughs> and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you talk about us for 25 minutes in the middle of another <laughs> thing that you were doing? Um, but they were really plain about, like, we don't we don't want anything from this. If you like it, use it for a while. If you like it, then call us back. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. I have Got a some. question about the, the, the big one. Let's say yeah. you are going to print a, a helmet is um, obviously the advantage, the advantage of the big printer is just one print, but is there any kind of warpage on something that big? Is there still an advantage to doing it in, in pieces and then putting it together? It, yeah, I mean, it's always a possibility, but it mostly depends on the material that you're using. So some will have a tendency to warp more than others. Is it a but, resin or is it a extruder? No, it's it's an FDM printer. Um, FDM but this one is... FDM FDM is uh, squirty out plastic one. <laughs> squirty out. Yeah. FDM means filament diddly dip diddly bit? Uh, yes. Cool. I can't think of what it means right now. <laughs> That's too early. <laughs> oh, man. Filament squirty machine. I don't remember off the top of my head. And if you ask me in 10 minutes, I'll be able to remember, I'll look but I can't up. right now. Um so, it, it, depending on the material, uh, you, it's more likely or less likely to warp over something that big. But uh, now they've kind of got, you know, printers to where they're cooling the space at a certain, or not cooling, they're, they're cooling the um, print head. Fuse deposition modeling is not what I would have remembered. So, yeah, there you go. Um, Anyway, they're pretty good at cooling, and this machine is partially enclosed. The top is open, but it has a back and sides, and that helps, you know, kind of cradle some of the heat around the thing. It has a heated bed, so always a possibility. But anyway, this Bamboo Labs printer that I got is... That's the one that could discharge colors on, on demand, too, right? Yeah. It's got four... It's oh. got a thing on top of it where you can put four different rolls of filament in it. It does... I did a couple of test prints on it. It was very easy to set up. It is a legitimately, like, super well-made machine. Like, it's impressive. Glass front, glass top, uh, powder-coated metal enclosure, and 
it's got all this crazy stuff, and I'm not trying to shill for them. I just was surprised at how impressive the yeah 3D DIY was. Dave is always playing with them on his. It's channel. got like it's got a lidar sensor in the print head and cameras, and so it goes down and it makes the first layer, which is always the whether you're going to have a successful print or not is almost always reliant on if the first layer is good. Sticks and so it goes down and it prints the first layer, and then it takes the head slightly off of it and runs over the first print and it uses the lidar sensor to see if that print is flat or if it came up oh wow so it makes its own adjustments or makes yeah its own corrections or it checks or... to see and if it if it sees a problem it stops it pauses sends you a notification to your phone that says hey you know you might want to check out this first layer and verify that it's okay um, but all along the way, it has like some AI engine built into the machine, so it's constantly looking at the print and checking it to make sure it's okay. And it's it's got all these sensors and stuff in it. It's pretty impressive. And I did one print with two materials, and it worked fine. I've done that in the past with some other machine. It was really really slow. This one seemed to be pretty quick about switching between the filaments and stuff. So pretty excited about using that one and trying it, you know, for some different things. They sent some uh, PETG that has carbon fiber built into it. So it's like a strong yeah. carbon fiber or strong PETG. Don't make a submarine out of it though, right? <laughs> I, pr- I promise. <laughs> but so I'm trying to think of some reasons that I could use that particular filament, something I could make for the shop that would be, that would take advantage of, of having some extra strength, you know, mm-hmm. and, PT, Can I, I want to ask you just to clarify, out of my own curiosity, when you make a 3D model that has various colors in it, are those their own bodies? For instance, if you're in Fusion, does every yeah. color need to be its own body? Yeah. Even if the color is interdispersed, like say, for instance, like a Dalmatian, if you have like a thing with it. Well, it depends on, it depends on the slicing software. And I've not mm-hmm. done a whole lot of this, so yeah. there could be details about that part and of it. And by just, the way, a body is, and when you're in Fusion, a body is its own physical element something yeah it's like a three-dimensional object and you can have multiple bodies that go together to make a bigger thing um the way that i've done it in the past well there's two ways that i've done it one was two different bodies um and and you load them in at the same time in the slicing software that i used there there's probably another way to do it but then in prusa slicer in particular there's a thing where if you bring in a single body that maybe it has text, raised text on top of it or on one face of it, it will detect that and say, do you want to do a color swap from this point to this point? And it'll kind of detect like, it looks like you're making a sign. Can we help you change colors or whatever? And so it'll kind of help you with that in the slicing software. Otherwise, you just have to manually say, I want it to go from here to here, or these are the two bodies that need to be these two colors or whatever. So. It'll be interesting to see how that works with um, four materials. I guess it works the same. It's just you have more selections or more bodies or whatever. But the other time that I've done it was on an old Ultimaker 3, which was the one that was very slow. But the two materials that I did, one was a support material called PVA. It's like PVA glue, but it's in a in a filament. Yeah. And so it's a water-soluble filament so you you print the supports around the the other filament object and then when you break the whole thing off you just put it in a bucket of water and after a while pva just dissolves away and you've got your print with no support material on it which is neat but not terribly practical and took forever so not something i would probably do often but you can Hmm. anyway so you know the only thing i've really done after being back from vacation was set up the bamboo labs printer messed with it a little bit and then started assembling the prusa printer uh, which is taking a long time but do you still um, prefer the prusa slicer as your slicing software i do uh it's really the only one i've used in the last couple years so there could be other ones that are you know better or newer or whatever that i just haven't even tested out yet but i've been really happy with it and i really like their printers and so their printers are you know they have profiles for them very easy to use through it so it just kind of makes it easy to think but with this bamboo bamboo labs printer they've got their own slicing software that I'll, i'll try out and then i'll try to see if there's a profile for it 
for Prusa Slicer gotcha. as well. There usually are. Really popular printers get profiles for slicing software pretty quickly. But it's a, it, it's been interesting. This year, I think, and I may have talked about this before, but this year I think I've spent more time taking advantage of the fact that I have 3D printers. I've always kind of held it at arm's length, you know, and only used it when it was like the best possible or only solution for something. And now I'm trying to lean a little bit more into, I just I should just use it. Yes, I could carve this thing on the bandsaw or yes, I could whatever this thing out of whatever, but I could just print it and then I could do something else. <laughs> so I'm trying to take advantage of what we have around That's here. the way the world's going. There's no, no reason to stop. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure why I, I'm not sure why I kept that away from you know the the normal tool set for so long i think it was probably a holdover from when i got my first 3d printer it was a kickstarter and it was a thing you had to build and it was terrible but i remember making that video and like look i've got a 3d printer and all the comments were like no nobody else in the world has one of those or you know like i'm never going to have one of those in my shop like why would i be in-? and it was just all this pushback which of course I understand. And there's still some of that, a very little bit about that. But I haven't gotten that kind of a comment in a really long time about 3D printers or honestly, or lasers or CNCs. Occasionally, you know, somebody will, will throw shade at the laser because they're pretty expensive. But really, I don't get that kind of pushback on stuff very much anymore. Yeah, it's, cha- it's changed a lot. Where so, in the beginning, like it was also new. I mean, the, with the technology, yeah. the home-based technology is, is unbelievably more advanced than it was and more accessible than it was yeah when i say advanced i mean to say it's a little bit more affordable right the average shop guy that's not trying to make a youtube influencer career is is buying this stuff and having fun with it yeah so i need to use it as well i guess is what i'm yeah you know <laughs> only leaning into that a little bit so uh before we get into our topic bob did you get your plasma cnc table set up speaking of yes. expensive tools did you get that um, cutting no uh, because i haven't been here I got right before I left. I got the compressor in and all the fittings to get it hooked up, and I started hooking it up. But that's kind of as far as I've gotten. So after my company leaves this week, next week I'm hoping to spend a day and get it cutting. But that's where I'm stuck at. Gotcha. the The reason I ask is the whole time you've been talking about the plasma CNC, I was like, man, I, w- I would love to have one. But there's just no room in my shop or whatever. And then funny thing is Stepcraft, the my wood CNC router company, they have a new plasma cutter attachment for their CNC coming out this month. And they reached out and they were like, hey, you, we want to send you the, the plasma cutter to use in your videos. And I was like, yeah, I just, my CNC is in the wood shop. I don't have, the, and it's just, it's too big to move into the garage. And then we work something out where I'm getting one of their smaller ones and then getting the plasma cutter on the smaller one. So I won't, I won't be able to do like big sheets or whatever. So I've been researching this now wondering what I could do with it. And so my question for Jimmy is um, how thin sheet metal can I cut? Like this is, I'm working on basically it's, this has taken me a long time, but this piece right here, it's, sheet metal that was cut laser cut and bent by sun cut sun mm-hmm. and i'm working on this like it's, it's gonna be like an arcade style music maker type thing right can i cut really thin sheet metal on a 100%. plasma cutter yeah 100 yeah. does yeah, it you just you just gotta move you can move really quickly with thin sheet metal you, you'd be amazed at how fast it can cut thin sheet metal thick sheet metal it's the thicker it needs to cut the slower you got to do just like anything Got but you. Absolutely. You can cut 22 gauge. You can cut really thin stuff. Absolutely. Right. I was just wondering, there, I, 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 just wondering if it was going to destroy the edge. Uh, no, but. I mean, you, you got to experiment a little bit. I mean, you know, maybe you need to put an offset because it depends on how hot the cut is. Obviously, you don't want it really hot for a thin sheet metal. If you run it hot, you might end up making your cut wider than it, you really want it to be. But with plasma cutting, you end up with a little bit of a, a grody cut. You yeah. just got to mm-hmm. make adjustments for it and decide where and when. If you have new consumables on it, your cut's usually pretty good, but you do have a wide curve and you got to account for that. In the I, soft, 
Okay. In the software, is there? Does it account for the curf? It'll show you and where the, it is. And does the curf change on your on your settings, or is the curf always that that size? The curve seems to basically stay the same. I guess if you really if you really low heat on a fast cut for really thin metal, I'm sure your curve is skinnier than it would be if it was wider. Because the more it hangs in the cut, the more metal is getting melted away. So, for instance, a really long, slow cut and thick metal might end up being about an eighth of an inch, maybe wider. But really small, it might end up being half that size. Really thin metal, really fast cut. So I think it's been my experience that the longer it hangs in the metal, the wider the cut is. But then it does show you in the software where it's supposed to be. Okay. Which side there, of the vector? Is there any warping if you, like, can you use too much heat or stay in a place too long on you thin material? You, like you could technically keep it. Uh, thin metal will probably flex from the heat, but that's why you yeah. cut it fast and you can keep it wet. You know, if you have a mm -hmm. wet table, that's why okay. wet will, when you cut it, on a wet table and it's the water's filled to the top because a lot of times the water also sucks up the smoke and debris it keeps it from blowing everywhere so it's like technically a little bit cleaner you ever see guys that have plasma cutters in their shop with an open bottom table and it looks like the surface of the moon underneath it because they never clean it it's just bits and pieces of metal and thick black scrappy dust mm. the water table will trap a lot of that but also the main function is to keep your material from warping from the heat so you can cut a piece and as long as it's all splashy and wet you can immediately grab it and it's most likely going to be cool to the touch if you're running it dry you can run the risk of making that piece of material flex gotcha. and it depends on you know if the flex is 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 okay for what ultimately is going to get welded to something so the flex will be then bent back out of it but if it's like an quarter inch or an eighth inch or three-eighths of an inch cut and you cut like a small part that gets hot like a thin piece and both sides of the cut you know equal a thin material positive that you're going to keep you could potentially get some warping in there hmm. you do you use sheet cam i use illustrator and i import illustrator into the torchmate 9 gotcha. software and then from gotcha. there i, I make my uh, I make my cut and what's interesting is I wish all CNC machines were like this is that you can I mean at least I know some are I know ShopBot doesn't seem to be but maybe there's a workaround I just don't know it you can throw a piece of material on the plasma cutter put the point where you want it and hit set home that is your new zero and then you cut a piece of material like you cut say a star out of it and then you just jog the machine over to somewhere else and hit set zero and then cut your star out and jog it over and cut your star out. I wish you could do that on the big CNC machines. It doesn't seem like, it always just goes back to original home. You gotta bring it back into the software or in the software, move that object around and lay it on your sheet. It's just two different sort of working there, paths. There are, um, Josh would be the one to answer this question because he has figured this out on our big CNC. Mm -hmm. But he had to make multiple home locations for different things and we were doing the push sticks he had the big table set up for different things in different parts mm -hmm. and so he had i don't remember the codes i think it was g58 was one of them but mm -hmm. I, I don't remember but there's a couple mm -hmm. of codes that you can like set alternate home locations now it's yeah. not what you're talking about to where you're updating a single home location but yeah you by just literally selecting so like yeah home is wherever you want the head to start and that's usually in the lower lower left corner of your cut right. so when you're setting it up in the cut software <clears throat> you drag it to the lower left corner if it's a circle for instance the extreme square around that circle is your lower left corner and so you know it's and then you could just run a dry cut to make sure you're on the material when you start cutting metal you end up with like the most random raggedy pieces of scrap i'm sure and you don't want to throw any of it away because it's almost it's like it's like copper or brass it's like you know it's got a lot of value and if i can cut a smaller part so i end up with these pieces that have 20 different projects cut out of them and then and then like i then i once it gets to a point where i'll just cut off all the parts that are completely no good and save these scraps that have a few multiple square inches of space that I can cut something out of. But you can just run a dry cut over it. But um, it just seems to be a little bit easier on uh, the plasma cutting software versus ShopBot. I'm using ShopBot, so. Uh -huh. I, I gotta ask my guy Brian over there. 
if there is that type of thing. Because with plasma cutting, I'll make one star in the software, and that's my cut path. But in in ShopBot, I'll have to lay out the sheet and show 30 stars if that's what I want to cut out, and then hit start, and it'll cut all those 30 stars out of my stock. It's just two different workflows, and mm -hmm. it would be nice if they could kind of be similar. Yeah. But whatever. I'm sure there's an answer to that question. I just don't know it yet. So we've been talking about, so far, um, me getting a 3D printer from a company for free. We <laughs> talked about going. me getting a plasma cutter, <laughs> David getting a plasma cutter, uh, Jimmy getting, a, I don't know, you've got a whatever. million machines. We get all these things for, not all these things, we get some of these things for free. Right. And that kind of leads to the topic that yeah. you had. So what's, yeah. what are we going to talk about? Well, this weekend at the racetrack, I met uh, Jared came again. Jared's come a couple of years in a row. And, and Jared, I hope you're doing okay. Jared had the bad accident. He's okay. He, him and his buddy collided. Him and his buddy Alex collided on the racetrack doing like 620 miles an hour. But wow. they both walked away, no problems. But it was a little bit of an eye-opening experience for everybody. Like, okay, this is dangerous. Like all day long, we're having fun, eating hot dogs and goofing off. But Jared's fine. But Jared did say to me at one point in the day, he's like, I have an idea for a topic. And he wrote it down. And I, I don't have the note in front of me. But the gist of the note was basically, do you feel you're as creative with all this, in air quotes, success versus when you didn't have as much success? Say, for instance, when, you know, my, my monthly budget used to be like $5,000 a month. Like, that's all I had to spend when I was started on YouTube. I remember that because I remember Taylor and I were talking about it. And like the monthly budget was like five to six thousand dollars a month. That's all I had to come up with when I first Which started. Which is for as a point of reference, that's a pretty significant budget for a lot of people. Like in Manhattan, I was living in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I just want to point that out. That that included my like, mortgage and my yeah. rent and my rent at the shop. I mean, of course, sure. it was really more because I mean, there's, that didn't account for food and stuff. But those are my hard costs. At yeah. the time, I own the car. Now I have three car payments, and I have insurance payments for everything. I I have insurance on everything, which is annoying. Long story <laughs> short, obviously, and I remember one of my teachers said it to me, my buddy Kevin. He said to me, the older you get, life gets more complicated and more expensive, and there's almost no way of stopping it. It just happens. He says, you develop more credit card debt. You develop more car payments, house payments, insurance payments, life insurance. He said... You just get on this wheel and there's no way of stopping it. I remember Kevin telling me that when I was in my second year at school in 1987, my second year in his class. Mm. And we were sitting at the Cooper Union Museum and we were having a coffee together and he must have been a little depressed about something, but he just said, life gets more and more complicated the older you get. He goes, just try and enjoy it as much as you can. He goes, despite the complications that are gonna come your way. And he labeled off, he rattled off all these payments. And I think he about that every time. He must have just made a big payment. <laughs> yeah, and Kevin is 12, 10 or 12 years older than me, so he wasn't that much older than me, but he was a big mentor, he still is. And I always remember that when I look at my monthly bills, I just remember Kevin saying, life gets complicated. He goes, enjoy the ride. So as life gets complicated, do we lose our creativity or does creativity flourish? And that's really what Jared's point of uh, question was. Do, does life get more complicated and less creative or is our life becoming, well, I'm using the word complicated, but really what he was saying is successful. Do we make more money? We make a lot more money than we did 10 years ago. Does that make my creativity stifled or does it make my creativity flourish? I like to see, I, I tend to like to see my creativity. My answer to that question, I'll start is, I like to see my creativity and my successful life in two parallel universes. Yeah, I could make hmm. crazy, cool, fun stuff with bigger machines, but the impetus for my ideas and the impetus for my creativity is still that childlike curiosity that, oh my God, look at the, what happens when I click this pen. You know, like, that's cool. What can I do with that? And, you know, every time I decide to make something, I always go, okay, what can make this easier? Can I use a CNC machine or do I just go right back to the table saw? For instance, I made the legs of the pool table yesterday. I made the beginning of the legs, which is this this uh, trapezoidal pointy leg. It's a tapered leg, but it's got six sides. I could have laid that out on the CNC machine, cut it on the CNC machine, but I'm like, that's going to take so much programming time that I don't really, there's got to be a simple practical way when you see these YouTube videos of guys working in India with these machines that have been recycled from a different country and they're all walking around with no shoes on and, and they make the most... They make beautiful products with the most practical, reduced, simple methods. 
<clears throat> and so inspired by that, yesterday I made these legs on the table saw. It's a crazy glued up jig. Like I just took some CA glue and made this jig, which you'll see in the video, to make these tapered legs from, from rough cut pieces. I rough cut the tapered legs. And then because of the jig, I was able to bring them into focus, make them perfect. Each one of them exactly the same as the previous one. And that's just from watching these guys just do practical stuff. I could have just as easily, well, I could have went to my CNC machine and laid out this CNC pattern with this tapered 30 degree angle on both 60 degree tapered sides and blah, 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 blah. But I didn't have to. And so I like to think that my possibilities are, are expanded tenfold, maybe a hundredfold because of the financial success I've had. But I don't rely on it. I don't constantly keep trading up, trading up, trading up. I'm I'm also a little bit of an old school guy. I've spent so much time being poor that I tend to resort to those simple methods versus jumping into the CNC machine. And so I like to think that, yeah, my possibilities are endless, more endless than ever before. But my inspiration and the things that inspire me are the simplicity and the childlike nature of, of anything. Case in point, during the go-kart event, there's like some, the one guy has, uh, my friend Chris, the alchemist, he has a go-kart that has a motor and a belt that goes to the, the axle, but he doesn't have a gas pedal. He just has it floored wide open. And what he has is a slack belt. So when you're stepping on the gas, what you're doing is pushing a pulley into the belt that creates the friction, just like a power mm -hmm. hammer. So that's how you drive his go-kart. And you know how you stop? That's you pull awesome. a lever that rubs a sneaker against the rear tire. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. And it's like a cartoon, but it's amazing. And it's built on top of a ladder. It's built on top of an aluminum a ladder. Any chance this was one of the carts in the accident? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> the two guys that crashed were like, they. Uh, and, and I know Jared's listening. So Jared, you and Alex remind me of guys that go from town to town and you come in with like a souped up, you know, 1970 Chevelle, and you're like, this car can take everybody's pink slip. And you're like, you're like you steal someone's girlfriend and you steal somebody, you're like, you win a race and you steal someone's car and the two of you drive away in two Chevelles, you came in one. Mm -hmm. And these two guys seem like that, but in the go-kart world, they show up at a flatbed, they both put helmets on, they take their carts off and then they're doing 95 miles an hour. And I didn't even think like I could possibly blow a belt on my 1920s go-kart. Jared's got like four extra belts of them. He had to rebuild his clutch one time. And it's just funny how these guys, they just seem like go-kart hustlers. They just show up. And, and Alex always just wears a tight white t-shirt that's never dirty, but he knows everything about motors. And Jared's like all covered with tattoos. They just look like two go-kart hustlers. Like they go from town to town, like t stealing people's go-karts by winning them in races. So, I don't know. Awesome. I kind of think of creativity in two different categories there's the creativity as far as design and aesthetics and then there's the creativity in problem solving and i don't think having any more money or bigger budgets has affected the design part of it but i i have to believe that being able to just buy the more expensive tool or the tool that does the specialized thing might affect my problem solving creativity um and i say that because like oh you know the cnc well you know cuts things out super fast or you get the uh the festival domino makes like super fast joinery of, of course you could do that all by hand and I'll, I'll i still get all the woodworking magazines and there's this there's always like a a reader submission thing where they could send in tricks and, and and jigs that they come up with and i'll see these things and i was like man that is so that's such a creative way such a different way to approach a problem i never would have thought of that and i think i don't think of that because i have the tool to do the job but as far as like design stuff like i i feel like whatever's in my head i'm i i I'm able to get out into the real world. It used to be harder with, you know, more primitive tools. It's a little easier now. And I think I'm more creative now than I was a year ago as far as design and aesthetics. So it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, 
a privilege and a, and a curse to have machines mm. that could that could do all these things. Also, I have no room yeah. to work on projects anymore because of all the tools. <laughs> so many tools. <laughs> so many tools. I don't even have room to work on the projects. That that being said, me and Rob Rob Rojas works with him, me here at the shop. It, Rob said to me about a month and a half ago. He goes, "We have so much stuff you don't use. Let's get rid of it and start over." And so. Thankfully to Rob, we just went around and we picked. I've gotten rid of, I mean, I will by the time we're done, I will have gotten rid of 10 or 15 machines that I don't use. And a lot of the machines come to me because I bought that, but that comes with it. And a lot of times the things were donated to me. So we've gotten rid of, and we will get rid of a lot of machines on Facebook market. Rob handles all that. And just Bernie was just here. I saw Bernie, an old shaper that I, I thought I was going to use in a video. I never used with Bernie. It'll You'll see it on Bernie's videos. It's an old antique shaper, which is the type of machine that goes like, it scrapes metal. So, you know, just I'm really looking around me and going, what don't I need? You know, I sold the Hearst. So, you know, as much of a hoarder tendency as I tend to have, and I'm a little scared of that because that's how my dad is. My dad, my dad is a legitimate hoarder. Like he might need a TV episode soon. But I don't want to become that. So I'm like emotionally trying to detach myself from some of these machines I've collected. Uh, but what's funny is, okay, is the more success I get, I don't go out and buy uh, Tormach 770. I go out and buy a cool printing press that I would, you know, or I buy an antique <laughs> car. the oldest thing you can find. <laughs> <laughs> but now with the money that I have, I have the resources to buy a truck that I could put it on a trailer, that I could use my forklift. Yeah. You know, so I've kind of gone into all these like kind of... Uh, practical mechanical advantages that I didn't have before. Hmm. You know, so for me, it's like, yeah, I got a lot of technology, but I have these like sort of construction-y, you know, industrial help, which enables my habit. Hmm. Yeah. So I have a couple thoughts here on this, and they're, they're kind of contrary to each other. Um. One, I, I just assume, and I could be wrong about this, and I'm saying it because I'm assuming it, which is not always a great thing to do, but I assume that there's a sentiment for people listening or people out there in general that, like, your creativity should be independent of your of what you have, like, the kind of the purest mentality. That's, and that, that's like, what I was trying to say. That's how I feel. Um, but I... I think for me, I, I don't think any any thought like that that your your creativity should be independent of of what you have available. Like you should be creative in in every situation or with the most minimal. Sure, theoretically, for me, if I I don't see using a tool as a particularly creative thing. It's it's using a tool. It's a means to a creative end. But for me, David, like you're saying, the problem solving of I want this, this pile of things to get into that object or I want to figure out how to turn one thing into another or I want to figure out how to create something out of the things that I don't even have in front of me yet to serve this purpose. And so the problem solving part of not just how to cut a piece of wood, not that problem solving, but the problem solving of I want a thing that doesn't exist yet. To me, the more tools or the more fundamental problem solving elements you have, the easier that's going to be. And so my whole thing for me personally is that I would just want to be able to accomplish anything. So the more tools I have for that, it's just more arrows in the quiver kind of thing. That's the way I look at that thing. doesn't mean that I have to have those things, but the more that I have available, the more I'm going to take advantage of, which I think is what I'm talking about with the 3D printing and the laser and all that stuff. Lately, I'm trying to take advantage of the stuff that I have because I've been pushing it back for that mentality of you shouldn't have to have a laser to be able to do a whatever. Um, so that's one thing that I kind of, I think maybe I think about that a little differently than what I assume other people do. Again, that's a big assumption on my part, so I could be wrong. But I think being successful or I don't know how you want to say that, but being successful or just having the money to buy the tools that you want or having the tools available to you or however you want to think of that, I think it lowers the barrier to accomplish your task. For me anyway, if I don't have to leave my shop 
to get something done, to get an idea into the real world, like that's awesome to me. And so the more success there just makes that more reasonable, more possible. The downside of it, the flip side of it, is that I've noticed over the past several years, the success and growth of our company has brought on more people. Just like you were saying at the beginning, Jimmy, it's brought on more cost, more salaries, more insurance, another property, all this stuff that even when things are going well, it's still this giant elephant that is sitting on my shoulder that I am having to mentally balance against, I want to make a table. What's a creative way to make a table? Like a table would be nice. How can I think, you know, I'm trying to think about this micro interesting problem solving thing in front of me, but at the same time, I've got like, yeah, but there's salaries and unemployment insurance and, you know, all this other stuff. So the success of it and to keep it going and keep it growing you have that additive pressure and weight and attention that has to go somewhere else away from the actual creative thing that I enjoy doing that got me started doing this that makes it all possible. And so it's kind of, I don't know, it, that that part of it I think is the bigger thing for me. It's just that my mental <clears throat> attention is not as focused on the creative part of my job as it used to be. And that's hard. Hmm. Uh, so I think yep. to an- my big answer to that question is <coughs> not about, whoa, is not about, <laughs> you right? Yeah, I missed the button, <laughs> you sorry. Muted the second one. My b- answer to this question is less about the, do the tools make it more creative but the, or less creative? Does the success make it harder to be creative? And I think it does for me a little bit just from the sheer split mind thing where I have to think about all this other stuff versus the thing. So that's my answer. Hmm. And I don't know how to get out of that. That, I mean, that's something I've spent time thinking about. You know, I mean, I could like fire everybody and shut everything down and just go back to me in the garage. That sounds not great. That's not practical. Yeah. But I don't know how to take what we have and the current success and the current state of everything and, I think, I mean, you, you guys, know. you do it in the way where you guys take a, a trip, but maybe you need to spend more time tinkering by yourself. That's what you yeah. need to do. I think tinkering alone is really important. A lot of times I like being alone and it's really where my best ideas come from when I'm unencumbered, nobody's talking to me, nobody's asking me a million questions. It's People come and they go, why'd you get this? Why'd you do that? What made you think that? Why'd you do that? How come you did that? What is this? Why is that? And it's just like, woof. Yeah. I got to take a nap when they leave. But... <laughs> I, I think uh, sometimes you just have to accept like this is just life now. Like I have chronic back and foot pain and I don't know that it's ever going to go away. So it's just, it's just going to be part of mm. my life now. And <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a comedy bit from some comic I, I can't remember uh but he, he goes to the doctor for his his ankle and uh, the doctor's just like you got a crappy ankle now and he's like okay how do we fix it the doctor's <laughs> like no you just have a crappy ankle now this is this is life yeah it sounds like a louis ck thing. i think it is yeah about that yeah he talks to me he goes i'm 50 years old he goes look at this belly he goes i'm gonna go from here to abs he goes it's never gonna happen because <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get abs at 50 he goes let's be real now it's never gonna happen but I, I, the other thing, too, is the other side of the coin is when you do get a cool machine, like, Bob, you're about to get the plasma cutter up and going, and Dave, you too. When you get that, all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, I could make knives out of saw blades. I could make this cool shelf bracket that I've seen once before, that now it's in the power of my hands. So mm. you have all, it definitely unlocks new channels. So, I mean, the most important thing, to, if we're going to do any takeaway from this, is you can't lose that childlike curiosity and that childlike interest in trying to make things you got to keep that no matter what no matter how complex life gets you got to keep that but as life gets complicated you do have more possibilities and you have more limits unlocked and i can now make a shape in metal i can make Mm -hmm. any shape i want in metal it fits on my four foot wide table up to one inch thick steel. I think I cut one inch thick steel once, so maybe three quarters of an inch thick steel for for a vice base for for Lucas. But without that machine, and then like, for instance, I said, 
I go, oh, let me go. I said to Rob, I'm like, we're sitting here hand stamping these ice picks one at a time. You know, one out of every 10 is a little cockeyed. So I put it in the drawer to give away for free. I'm like, you see these videos of these Indian guys making everything on these die stampers. I go, open up Facebook market. Let's buy a die stamper. Two days later, the guy's at Wasco Tool Company, Connecticut. The guy was a fan of mine. So he offered to drive it and I paid for his gas. He dropped off this crazy die stamping machine. And we did like thousands of ice picks in one afternoon. Hmm. So there, because it took me, it took me hours to make the die. But that was another creative outlet for me to figure out how to make a die that will put my logo on these ice picks. And in one afternoon, my brother ran through thousands of them hmm. just by sticking it in and pushing the button, just like you see in a factory. And so the idea of having money sometimes is the type of thing where it's it's so used to doing things with a with a let's save money mind mentality that I forget that I can just go to Facebook market and buy a good used old machine that's trustworthy and, and sturdy. You don't need to buy a brand new one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, so that's a good point. I got, I got to remind myself that sometimes. Uh, as I was, uh, as I'm preparing to get this, this plasma cutter, uh, I'm looking up for ideas and I'm like, oh man, I can make a bunch of little metal bins. I can just have it, I have it all cut out and then bend it and, and then I see a couple of videos of, of people who just draw it out and then use snips and cut it out. And I, I, I don't know why, but I never would have thought, oh, you can just cut real thin metal with snips. And, <laughs> right, right. Like right? you were never limited before, <laughs> right. but now you thought you were. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, that would be so much faster than drawing it up on the computer. Well, now with the, with the machine, now you have the ability to, to make multiple parts. So you can make right. a set of drawers. Right, right. Whereas you wouldn't necessarily, you might make two tin snippy ones and be like, that's cool. Look what I could do. One day I'll yeah. make 20 <laughs> of them, but that that's once. never going to happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but now with the yeah. machine, it unlocks the potential to make a chest of drawers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you don't need any of this expensive stuff to to find a way to solve your problem. And I think that's the crutch. That's the thing where people might get into trouble. We've probably gotten into trouble where we think, well, I don't have that one thing to do that one thing. There's always a workaround. There's always a way to be creative and solve the thing. Um, but, you know, depending on where you are and how you go about making being able to have bigger machines, more machines, uh, something to do, everything you can think of, it might be a crutch. It might be the thing that allows you to actually execute your ideas. You know, it just depends on who you are and how you work. Some people like to make, you know, tables, and that's the thing that they want to do. They just want to make tables. And so they don't need all these other extra stuff to make tables. I barely ever want to make the same thing twice. And so I can't stick with a single tool set. But that just shows you how different, even the three of us, how differently we go about what we enjoy making, how we do it, how often we do it, how many times we do it. You know, that stuff's all different. So it's a bit of a different situation for everybody, I think. Any other thoughts? I don't, we had to restart our recording in the middle, so I have no idea how long we've been talking. But Thoughts? Anyone? Anyone? No? No, I think, uh, you know, it's just you just got you got to remain creative regardless of what happens and yeah i think if it's in your spirit it's in your spirit but when you do get a new machine that spirit leads to being able to take that machine and use it to its potential mm. so that, that's 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 my thought that's a good point all right cool well like if you were uh, a 10 year old and you were allowed to drive a car like what, what would that be like, like whoa <laughs> i could go terrible. anywhere uh, well, big thanks to our Patreon supporters who are still here, even though we took a week off. Big, uh, We're grateful to, to them for that. So big thanks to everybody over there. We have a group of top supporters that are, uh, they go above and beyond. They really do. So big thanks to Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Chad's Custom Creations, Rich at Lowen Designs, Odin Leather Goods, Sean Beckner, Scott Orham, the New Janky Workshop, Stu Morrison, Warren Works, Michael Manegin, The Web Ranch, Woodworks, and Crabtree Creative. Crabtree Creative sent us a message, and it is a, a topic all by itself. I'm going to forward it 
to you guys to read, but we do have, we got a big message for him, so. Okay. Um, but big thanks to everybody over there. Everybody gets the after show at every level. Um, and if you want to join that group and find a new person here, Addison Pokines, Pokines, I don't know how to say your last name, Addison, but welcome. Um, if you want to join that crew, you can go to patreon.com slash making it and join up for any amount that makes sense to you. Anything that you think we're worth or you have to spare. Whatever. We would appreciate it. I don't have anything to recommend yet this week, so I'm going to look for that while you guys tell me something that you're going to recommend. What you got? All right. Dave, go. I have, I have one here, and and then I have like a bonus one maybe, that maybe I'll mention in the after show. Or I'll mention here if Bob can't find one. But um, okay. <laughs> this is, uh, it's from the BBC archive. And it's the it's called Spirograph Inventor at Work on His New Creation. So this is from 1977. And it just shows this older gentleman who invented the Spirograph who worked at this toy company and it wasn't for him he just wanted to invent things and he goes back home and then he's working on his new invention uh it's just uh it just makes you want to tinker you you watch this video and you just want to head out into the shop and it's only like three minutes and 54 seconds so take a little bit out of your day and and go watch this it's it's so good cool Right um, I'm just trying to think of somebody that was at the event to just give him some love and uh, check out Chris over at the Alchemist on Instagram and you could see the go-kart I talked about he's, he, he's been showing it the development of it he made it last year and this year he, he upgraded it it's the, the go-kart made out of a ladder and he said when I first when he first heard about the go-kart event a year ago when he came to the first one last year he said, I wanted to just look around my shop and make whatever I could make with what's sitting around here. And that's why he started The Frame is on a Ladder. It's hilarious. So check out The Alchemist. That's crazy. I, I got nothing. Right, I'll give my <laughs> bonus on, one David. right here. So okay. this was totally by random chance that this video was introduced to me last night. But apparently they are shooting a new Beetlejuice movie. I freaking love Beetlejuice and so the video um, was this this guy went to the town where they shot it and he's showing the buildings that they are rebuilding or fixing up to make it look like just how it looked 30 years ago or whenever the first Beetlejuice came out and it was fascinating because so it's a real town and there's just construction crews all over this tiny little town it shows the bridge where the car went off and everything and um, how they got to re rebuild this this thing to make it look like the original and then when I was done watching that he was at this little town a year ago and he was doing and this video is even more interesting to me because he was showing like this is where the Beetlejuice house was but there's nothing here now this is this building how it looked before and after and he was doing like comparisons in the from the movie to to real life and then one of the houses there the, this lady had a whole bunch of pictures um from when they were filming so you know just film camera snapping pictures of uh all, all the actors and and uh, set locations and everything and i was just completely fascinated by these two videos and they're just hmm. so good so i will put the link to these two videos in the show notes Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for covering me because I don't have any. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Glad to be back. And, Thank uh, you. We will see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Happy birthday, Bob. Thanks. Thanks.